Man, that music is just so wistful. It hypes me up. I just kind of want that in the morning as I'm like getting dressed, ready for my day. I want that going. You can hit the stage lights too, Josh, after you get that going. That'll help me be a little more visible. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Mark chapter 1. Uh, if Ari, I think, is distributing our notes. Did we get those out? They're back there in the, looks like everyone has them. Sick. Ahead of the curve. You can turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 1 if you have them. Uh, if not, it will be on the screen back here. I don't know what happened to my TV. It like turned off and I couldn't get to turn back on. So we don't have the TV tonight. You'll have to rely on the screen up there. But we are in our series called simply Trademark. And we are going over our four core values. These are the four things that make us who we are. We are a product of the truth. We talked about this a little bit last week. Some of kind of why we do what we do, why we are where we are, the reason we're gathered together. Because we believe that it's all about Jesus. Every part of our life, every, everything we do, from the greatest to the smallest detail, our lives are about Jesus, shaped by him, molded by him. It's all about Jesus. Jesus is better than anything in this world. We say that quite frequently, and, and we believe it. We believe very firmly that we are a product of Jesus, that when Jesus gets in our lives, he makes us into new, better, uh, more true versions of ourselves. So we're looking at four core values, four key trademarks, if you will, of what sets us apart from other people. We said last week that these trademarks could be simply thought of as what does a life following Jesus look like? It's going to look like these four things. It looks like authentic relationships around Jesus. We talked about that last week and what that looks like. It, it, it'll look like a life transformation through Jesus, that Jesus doesn't just leave us where we are. We said this last week, you can come as you are. We, we welcome you mess and all. It's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. Jesus will transform your life. There's life transformation found in Jesus. Next week, Pastor Gabe is going to tell us about audacious faith in Jesus, that, that we do not just live ordinary, everyday lives. We live lives of audacious, incredible, greater than can be imagined faith. We put all of our faith, all of our stock in Jesus. We don't diversify our hope. We'll talk about that next week. And then after that, we're going to close up by talking about bold proclamation for Jesus. And these are the four marks of a life shaped by Jesus. A life following Jesus is going to produce these things. So last week we talked about authentic relationships, that we as followers of Jesus, as members of Trademark, are a community. We have relationships with one another. The, the people in your room, on your right and on your, on your left, uh, should be among some of the closest people in your life, because we have a, a common factor in our lives. Every relationship is a common thing. It's, it's based around something. Might be based around family. Might be based around a shared activity. Might be based around we sit next to each other in second period. Uh, it, it could be based on a number of things, but we have the greatest commonality of all. We are gathered around Jesus. Jesus is the glue that holds us together. And, and so we talk about what those relationships look like. If you'd like to listen back, if you missed last week, or if you just want to hear it again, you can go on to our Instagram, MCA Trademark, and you can listen to last week's message. You can also go to YouTube, MCA the Church, and catch last week's message there as well. But tonight we're going to talk about life transformation through Jesus. Life transformation through Jesus. And, and simply, my, my first point is that Jesus transforms lives. Jesus transforms lives. You cannot read the Bible, you cannot read the story of Jesus told in the different Gospels and, and not come away with the great understanding that Jesus changes 
everything. In, in Mark chapter 2, we talked about this last week, there's a man named Levi. He's a tax collector. He is the worst of the worst. Jesus finds him and he becomes the author of a gospel. He goes from like the worst sinner in the world to someone who literally wrote the Bible. This is transformation that happens through Jesus. In Luke 19, we see Zacchaeus, another tax collector, a, a, another really terrible guy who goes from a robber, a thief, a, a, a no good, like he, he is the worst of society. Everyone hates him. And he becomes this super generous, gives away everything he has, puts himself into abject poverty. His life is changed by Jesus. He, he goes from a thief into just this incredibly generous person. In, in Acts chapter 2, you can see the transformation of Peter happen. A guy who is so ashamed of Jesus that he denies him three times to three different people, weeps bitterly. And yet in Acts chapter 2, we see that his life is transformed by Jesus. He stands up in the midst of this massive crowd, thousands of people, and delivers the first sermon of the church. This is a life transformed by Jesus. The power of Jesus has so changed and, and captured his life that he becomes a totally different person. In Acts 9, you can read the story of Paul, who's literally killing Christians and has an encounter on the road to Damascus and becomes one of the greatest founders of the church, the author of more books in the Bible than any other, gospel, than, than any other Bible writer. This is a life transformed by Jesus. And, and that's only the headlines. There are countless unnamed individuals who are healed who, who are set free, who, who, who uh, are brought out of demon possession, all these different people. Jesus changes every life that he encounters. No one encounters Jesus and leaves unchanged. Mark's gospel is full of these stories. If you just want to get the, the quick picture of all the lives transformed, you can just read that. But in Mark chapter 1, Jesus calls his first disciples. And this is the text that we're going to pick up in just a moment. Jesus calls his first disciples, and this could maybe be a model for what discipleship looks like. This is the call that he gives to them. They are fishermen. They're out by the Sea of Galilee just casting their nets, doing their job, doing their life. And Jesus comes to them and says, you're fishermen right now, but I'm going to make you fishers of men. I'm going to turn your life around. And these men who have devoted their entire life to this trade and this craft leave the nets in the boat, leave it all behind them, and they go after him following Jesus. This is a total life transformation. Their life is never the same. They leave everything behind. James and John, two of the most remarkable disciples in Scripture, they leave relative wealth for a life of near poverty. What I want you to get is that there is something about Jesus that, that when you see it, when you grasp him, when you get a hold of, of who Jesus is, there is such a great pull that Jesus has to himself. That you will leave everything behind regardless of the cost, regardless of how difficult it is, but, but that Jesus is so much better than anything in this world. Jesus is worth leaving it all behind. Jesus' call is a call to transformation. You can write this down. The call of Jesus is a call to transformation. Every person who encounters Jesus has their life transformed. And there is a change that needs to happen in the life of every believer. When Jesus calls you, he calls you to transformation. He calls you to be transformed. He calls you to be a different person. In Mark chapter 1, verse 14 through 15, this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. The gospel says this. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, and saying, this is his gospel, the time was fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel. And this is the, the, the beginning of Jesus' ministry and preaching. And now for the rest of Mark's gospel, he's going to say, and Jesus preached to the crowd. 
And Jesus spoke to the crowd. And we can assume that this is what Jesus is saying in every place, to every crowd, to every person. Repent and believe the gospel. The kingdom of God is here. And that is the message for you tonight. The kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus is ruling and reigning over the universe on his throne. You may not be aware of it. You may have not heard this before, but we believe that there is a, a bigger king than a president. There is a bigger king than a governor. There is a bigger ruler for our lives than any human authority or human institution. But Jesus is in the world. He is ruling and reigning over all of the universe as the king, and we owe him our allegiance. This is the message of the gospel, and so we need to repent and believe. Repent and believe. This word repent is a Greek word, metanoeo, metanoeo. And, and what this word means is it's a change of mind. We often think, when we think of repentance, we think of it simply as stop sinning. But actually, it, it's a much deeper thing. It's not just a change of action, but it's a change of mindset. The transformation that Jesus is calling you to have in your life is not simply for you to, for you to change your actions and change what you're doing, but to change what you believe about the entire world, to change what you believe about yourself, to, to change your very identity. Jesus' change is much deeper than just a, a behavior modification, but it is total life transformation. Metanoeo is the change of one's mind and purpose as a result of new information. So here's how this works. I receive, about, I receive information about who Jesus is and what his plan is for the world, what his plan is for my life, what he's doing as the king, as the ruler of all creation. I receive that information. And if you haven't received that information yet, you can receive it from me tonight. There is a new king on the throne of the world. There is a new ruler for your life. There is a new authority for you to come under. And it's the authority and rulership of Jesus Christ. We believe he is our king. And we put our lives under his authority. So this is new information that we receive. And now I change my mind about him. So no longer am I just, or, or no longer is Jesus just someone that my parents talk about or believe in. No longer is Jesus just someone I hear about at school. No longer is Jesus just someone that I've heard about from a pastor or a youth leader. But Jesus is now someone that I believe in personally. I've changed my mind about him. I, I no longer think of him in the way that I used to think of him. I, I have a new mindset about how I relate to Jesus, how I relate to his word. I've changed my mind. He, he's now my king. He's now my Lord. And, and I no longer think my Christian friends are crazy. I've changed my mind. And now, oh, they are living a different life than mine. They are following a different person. And, and I used to think that they were just nuts. I, just, I used to think they were just fanatics. I used to think they were just these religious nut jobs. But now I'm changing my mind. And I, I, I have a different idea about who they are, about who Jesus is, about, about what this is. Jesus is real. He's alive and he demands my allegiance. I have a new mindset. I think differently about him. And so I receive information, I change my mind, and then I don't just change my mind, and this is crucial, I also change my purpose. My life purpose is totally changed and transformed. This is what this word repentance means. I receive new information, I change my mind, and now I change my life purpose based on this new mindset. So I give Jesus control of my life. I begin to study the things that he says in scripture, and I begin to try to align my life with those things. I begin to consult him in his word before I make decisions. Before I decide where to go to college, I think through, what does God want me to do with my life? A lot of you guys are kind of on the cusp, looking forward to the rest of your lives, looking forward to your future. And I just want to challenge you to consider, what does God want you to do with your life? Your passions are important. 
Your dreams are important. Your goals are important. Often those are given by God in, in some way. But, but pause a moment and consider what I want to do with my life. Is this in line with what God wants me to do with my life? Does, is God calling me to, to a different field? Is God calling me to this field? Listen, we need Christian doctors. We need Christian educators. We need Christian auto mechanics. We need Christian plumbers. The life following Jesus does not just mean I become a pastor and stand on stage and preach. But, but I begin to think, what does God have for me? How can I align my life with his priorities? God, what giftings have you given me? How, how do you want me to live my life? I change my life purpose as a result. I live my life according to his priorities instead of mine. I used to have a different priority for how I spent my time. It used to be about what can best entertain me in this moment. What will give me the most enjoyment and satisfaction this evening? And, and now I rethink my priorities into I want to look more like Jesus. I want to live in line with him. And so how would God like me to spend these free hours that I have? This morning I found myself with an extra hour. And so I could have very easily just spent it watching YouTube mindlessly. And that was part of the, the time. But I, I, I want to do better at considering, God, how can I spend this hour? Maybe I could spend some time in prayer this morning. Maybe I could spend some extra time in God's word this morning. I align my priorities with his priorities. A change of mind must always result in a change of life. So when I repent, it, it is a mindset change. It, it's something that, that happens and I think differently. But now because I think differently, I live differently. A change of mind results in a change of life. We call this change in church language, we call this change conversion. You may have heard this term before. Have you been converted? What that means is I have changed my mind about who Jesus is and now I've changed my life to align with what he wants me to do. I, I've heard it described this way. I'm walking down a road one direction and I stop, turn around, and I begin walking in the other direction. Before, I was walking in the direction of my goals. I was walking in the direction of my priorities. I was walking in the direction of my desires for my life. And I've now stopped and I've begun walking in the direction of what does God have for me? What does God want for me? How does God want me to live? There's two kinds of conversion or transformation, if you will, since this is the subject of tonight's message. There's two kinds of transformation. There's a conversion from sin. There's a conversion from sin. You're probably familiar with this kind of conversion. When you hear the word repent, this is probably what comes to mind. I need to stop sinning. And, and, and that's good because this is the absolutely crucial first step of, of saving faith in and allegiance to Christ. I, I need to stop sinning. I need to convert out of sin. I was walking in the direction of sin and I need to stop, turn around and walk the other direction. I need to leave my old way of life behind. The life of pride. I need to leave it behind. I, I'm no longer going to be controlled by how other people perceive me. I'm no longer going to be controlled by trying to be the coolest, the most important, or the smartest person in the room. I'm going to lay my pride aside and I'm going to follow after Jesus. And I'm going to be willing to lay my life down for someone else. I'm going to lay aside the life of anger. That, that I get so mad and upset and, and frustrated. And I just want to go off at someone. And I'm going to lay that aside. And I'm going to consider the way of love. I'm going to consider to be patient, to be gracious, to be merciful, even when I'm incredibly upset, even when someone does something that's so obviously offensive and wrong. I'm going to stop and I'm going to lay aside the life of anger. I'm going to lay aside the life of deception, living this two-faced life, acting one way at school or, or around my non-church friends, acting a different way at church, 
or, or behaving one way when I'm out on the streets and behaving a different way when I'm at home with my parents. I, I'm going to lay aside the life of just trying to tell as many lies as I can and construct this kind of bigger-than-life persona of telling people how, how cool I am and how many skills I have and how great. I'm going to lay aside all that deception, and I'm going to live in just open authenticity and genuineness before people around me. I'm going to lay aside the life of rebellion, that, that I am so, I, I just do not want to submit to authority. I just do, some of you need to hear this, I do not want to do what people tell me to do, and when they say do this, now I really want to do the opposite thing. Like, I was going to do the dishes, but because you told me to do the dishes, now all I want to do is not do the dishes. Anyone feel me? That, maybe that's just me. But like, I, but I'm going to lay that aside. I'm going to lay aside all these old lies. I'm going to lay aside all these old behavior patterns. I'm going to lay it all aside. I'm going to turn around. I'm going to follow after Jesus. I'm leaving aside the life of sin. And I, I could keep going with this list. But whatever it is, whatever the, the Spirit is just prompting in your heart right now, maybe it's not something I said, but as, as I'm speaking right now, you're just thinking something popped in your head of, ah, probably I need to lay this aside. Whatever that is, lay it aside and follow Jesus. He's worth it. He's better. There, there's something about him that, that makes all those sacrifices worth it. K. Arthur has this quote, you, you've heard it before, we quote it often, and, and if I could plaster it against your brains, I would. Sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Sin is costly, sin is deadly, sin is dangerous, sin is not a toy. As fun as it is in the moment, sin is not a toy that we play with when we feel like it. Sin is not something that I can just dabble with to kind of get a little bit of release. Sin will destroy your life. The Christian life does not excuse sin. We don't make room for it. We, we don't make excuses for it. We don't ignore it. We don't coddle it. It's there. Sure, we, we recognize that, that we aren't perfect people, but we don't want it there. We try to kill it. We try to get rid of it. We fight that sin. We, we, we fight those habits. We fight our sinful desires. We try to kill it. We want to put it to death. We turn from sin. See, this is going to be harder for some of you than it will for others. Some of you have lived by the grace of God. You have lived your life in the church. You've lived your life in a godly household with godly parents who have, who have raised you well. And you have not walked too far down the path of sin. Everyone's a sinner, don't get me wrong. And you definitely have mistakes. You've definitely made some, some, some mistakes. You have some errors in your life. But you haven't walked too far down the path. For you, stopping and turning around and walking the other direction is going to be pretty easy. It's going to be pretty easy for you to leave a lifestyle of sin. I was blessed to grow up in the church. I was blessed to have godly parents. And, and my dad is a pastor. And so I was really blessed that I was prevented by what I thought were really strict guidelines, by what I thought were a lot of just annoying rules. I was prevented from a whole lot of sin and a whole lot of mess that I could have gotten myself into. And I thank God for that. I don't have the, the flashy testimony of, of some, some of the things that I've heard. But I, I thank God that I was prevented from a lot of that. And, and so it was relatively easy for me to, to stop and turn the other way. Yes, there are struggles in my life. Yes, there's things I'm not perfect in. But, but I, by the grace of God, and some of you, by the grace of God, have, ha have had a relatively easy time of abandoning sin and turning to Christ. But some of you are, are further down the path. Some of you have walked a little bit further, and you've gone... You've gone farther than, than others have, and it's going to take you a little bit longer to turn around and walk the other direction. I say this not to shame you, but to encourage you, that, that when you're fighting sin, when you are battling, that it is so hard, it's so tough, it's so difficult, 
It, it might, it's going to take you a little bit longer because you've walked further down the path, but by the grace of God, you're going to make it. You're going to get there. But keep walking. Some of you are, are just beginning to dabble in sin. Some of you are, are just beginning. Maybe you were raised in, that, in, in a good Christian environment, but, but now you're kind of experiencing some freedom and you're starting to walk outside of the lines. You're starting to walk apart from the rules. And let me just warn you, sin will take you further than you want to go. It will cost you or, or keep you longer than you want to stay. It will cost you more than you want to pay. And, and you are just now beginning to walk this path. And if I could say anything, you'd be stop. You're going to destroy your life. So stop and turn around while it's still easy. Stop and turn around while it's still not that difficult. Well, there's still not that many things to say no to. The further you go, the harder it's going to get to turn around. Some of you guys know what this is like. You're so far down that path, and it feels like any change is impossible. It feels like, I will never get there. I will never make it. Some of you are just walking in circles. You walk this way, stop, turn around the other way, stop, turn around the other way. And you just can't figure out which way you're going. Stop. Follow Jesus. Sin is not worth dabbling in. It's not worth playing in. It's not worth toying in every once in a while. It's not worth it. It's less important where you are on the path. It's more important which direction you're headed. It's less important where you are. Some of you guys are like, man, I'm so far gone. I've done so much. It's going to take me so long to walk out of this sin. That's okay. It doesn't matter where you are nearly as much as which direction you're going. Are, are you walking towards Jesus? Good. That's what matters. And I just want to encourage you, lay aside the weight of failure. Lay aside the shame and the guilt that just comes and encroaches your life every time you mess up, every time you make a mistake, every time you go back to that sin. Just lay aside that guilt, lay aside that shame and say, no, I'm stopping, I'm turning to Jesus, I'm walking in that direction, and that is all that matters. You fix your eyes on Jesus, and, and, and that is the most important thing. We, we convert from sin, but we also convert toward something. We leave sin, and we turn toward Christ. We're not just shunning sin. We are actively pursuing something else. We're actively pursuing something better. And this is how you fight sin. Not by just trying really hard, not, not by just avoiding sin, not running away from sin, but running to Jesus. You don't run away from sin, you run toward Jesus. The direction you're running will determine so much about where you end up. It's time for me to take care of the dogs. That's what my alarm was, so I got it. This isn't moralism. This is morality. There is a difference Moralism is a list of rules that says, do this, do this, do this, do this, and do this, and then God will love you, and you'll be accepted, and, and, and you will be able to fight sin. Morality says, no, God has accepted you, God has chosen you, God has forgiven you, and so now, walk like it's true. It's a very different mindset. I'm not doing this to earn God's love, I'm doing this because I have God's love. Moralism tells you to walk down the path that it cuts off your feet. It takes away all your power because you have to do it yourself. You need a greater power and a greater strength. Morality gives you a flashlight and a walking stick and says, here's the direction and now here's some tools to help you get there more quickly and more easily. So we convert from sin, we convert toward Christ. A life following Jesus is much bigger than just avoiding sin. Life following Jesus is bigger than just avoiding sin. Jesus preaches against sin, but his most powerful sermons are devoted to other topics. 
His most powerful sermons are, are devoted to what life looks like. The command of Jesus is not stop sinning, but start living. That, that the solution to sin is life with Christ. That, that Jesus calls us to life and life more abundantly, John 10.10. 10. Christianity is not just a moral code. Do this. Don't do this. There are certainly moral expectations, but Jesus doesn't just throw a rule back at you and say, now live by this. The Bible, by the way, is not a rule book. It's not just an owner's manual or whatever else. So, so let's change our mindset about what that is. When we read scripture, when we read these rules, we're not reading rules for how to earn God's love. We're not reading rules for how to live, but we're reading this guide to this is what life following Jesus looks like. This is what Jesus wants to produce in you and create in you. Jesus doesn't just give you a list of rules to follow. Don't have sex before marriage. Don't do drugs. Obey your parents. Don't cuss. Don't look at porn. These are all rules. And, and these, are, these are good things to like avoid doing. These are good things to live for. But, but some of us live, and I live for so long in this mindset, if I can just get these rules right, I'll be okay. If I can just stop sinning, I'll be okay. If I can just, and it, was, and it was by the power of God through the Holy Spirit, if I can just avoid sin, I've got this. And, and, and my evaluation at the end of the day was, did I sin today? Uh, not that I can think of, so I'm good. When you try to live life by a rule book, this is what happens. And all it produces in you is pride. All it produces in you is arrogance because it's like, oh, I didn't actually need all that much. I could just follow the rules and I don't really need Jesus at all. I have the rules to help me out. And, and I thought that as long as I wasn't sinning, I was doing just fine. All my energy is focused on avoid sin, avoid sin, avoid sin. But I miss this bigger picture. I, I miss this true life. I miss the whole point of the gospel. Life following Jesus. Life following Jesus. I'm following after someone. I'm following after something. Turning from sin is simply the baseline for a believer. Turning from sin is simply the baseline for a believer. True faith in Christ is exemplified by a radically transformed way of life. Jesus has this fascinating inter interaction with a prospective disciple in Luke chapter 18. You can turn there if you want to read along, but I'll just summarize the story. It, it, it's a man that we know as the rich young ruler. He comes to Jesus, this, this rich, powerful, young individual. And he's, he comes to Jesus, he asks, how can I inherit eternal life? How can I inherit eternal life? And, and Jesus turns to him and says, well... Uh, you know the commandments. Jesus quotes some rules and says, hey, you, you know, don't kill, don't commit adultery, don't steal. And the guy says, yeah, I've, I've checked all the boxes. I've, I've done all those since my youth. And, and Jesus says, there's one thing that you're lacking. You need to sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And the man looks at Jesus and says, say, what? I, I thought I had all the rules. And Jesus says, no, you're just missing this one thing. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And the Bible says the man goes away incredibly sad because he has much wealth. He, he has many, many possessions. Jesus turns to his disciples and, and, and he says, they, they ask him, how can, how can we be saved if, if that's the standard? And Jesus says, with man it's impossible, 
with God, all things are possible. The disciples say, we've left everything for you, teacher. We, we've given up all our lives, everything we have. And, and look at this in Luke 18, 29 through 30. He said to them, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. The rich young ruler had followed all the rules. He, he'd followed these commandments. He'd, he'd lived his life by the book. He'd, he'd checked off all the boxes on the list. But when he came to Jesus, Jesus said that, that wasn't enough. See, he'd done all the right things, but he hadn't had a transformed life. He'd, he'd followed the rules, but his life had not changed. He was still fundamentally the same person. He'd followed the rules, but he hadn't followed Jesus. And, and I'm concerned, and, and this is a concern I have for my life so often and for your lives, are you following rules or are you following Jesus? Because that, 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 that difference will, make it, will have a massive impact on your life. Are you following rules or are you following Jesus? What are you following after? One will transform you, one will leave you just dead in your pride. We said last week, Jesus is a way of life. He is a lifestyle. He reshapes every priority. And in the New Testament, the number one way that, that Christians were referred to in their culture is they called them followers of the way. They didn't actually call them Christians. It's not until towards the end of the book of Acts where they're first called Christians. For the, the beginning of Christianity, they're simply called followers of the way. That they looked at the, the life of Jesus and they said, this is the way. This is the way we ought to live. This is the way we ought to be. And they simply followed it. They were following, not rules, but they were following Jesus and said, I want to pattern my life after him. I want to look like him. I want to be like him. I want to act like him. That is the way I want to live. I'm following the way. People enveloped into a new sort of life. Radical love, radical generosity. You can read this in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47, and, and, and I, I won't read it now, but it's just this picture of a life radically changed by Jesus. People who are giving up all their possessions and living this kind of communal, uh, selling everything and giving it to the poor. They're sharing everything they have. They're constantly in each other's house. They're living. This is a radically different community. And of course, this is a description, not a prescription. So this is not saying that we need to then sell everything we have and join this communist society. But we should consider, if this is what life looked like for followers of Jesus, how could this text be applied to us today? What would it look like for us to model after this, for, for us to look like people who are radically just changed by Jesus, who marked on this radical generosity, radical love for each other? And I won't give you an answer right now. That's some homework for you. You can read that, you can look at that, you can think through that, and as you talk with each other, as you have discussions, maybe you can think through, what could this look like for us? Because we live in a different time, we live in a different culture, we live in a, a different era, but how could we follow the example of the early church in this radical love and radical generosity? So read Acts 2, 42 through 47, talk about that. Talk about what that could look like. Discuss this amongst yourselves. I just want to give you an opportunity to dig a little bit deeper into the text, dig deeper into life transformation through Jesus. There's no list that you can follow to have a transformed life. Not just stop doing this and start doing this, but, but God gives me a new heart and a new will. He, he doesn't throw me a list of rules or priorities, but he gives me a new heart and new will. I get new desires in place of old ones. 
This is what life transformation looks like. I'm not trying really hard to do what Jesus wants me to do, but Jesus is changing me and making me want what he wants. I am transformed from the inside out. The last question that I'll ask as we finish up is, how does life transformation happen? How does life transformation happen? Kaylee, I forgot my object. On Sherry's desk, there's a purple mirror. If you can grab that for me, I would appreciate it. How does life transformation happen? In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12 through 18, it uh, will be on the screen. Thank you, Pastor Gabe. We read this. Since we have such a hope, we're very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, the same veil, thank you, remains, remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. How does life transformation happen? This is kind of a dense text, and we're just kind of unpack it together. Because no one ever encounters Jesus and leaves unchanged. For believers, life transformation is a guarantee. And yet, there are plenty of people in Scripture, and there's plenty of people in our lives, who this seems to not be true. It seems like they encounter Jesus, and they're not changed for the better. We read about scribes and Pharisees, religious leaders in Jesus' day who encounter him, and their hearts become more hardened. They, they like Jesus less. They experience even less change in their lives. And maybe you have friends or teachers or parents who are like this. You share the message of Jesus with them, and it seems as though there's just like... They don't change at all. They become more resistant. They become more dug in into their position. But these people, back then and now, are blinded by their assumptions about who Jesus is and what he would do. Scripture says it's like there's a veil over their eyes. There, there's, something, there, there's something in the way blocking them from seeing Jesus. That they look at him, and instead of seeing him for who he is, instead of seeing Jesus, all they see is just this covering, this veil, and they can't see Jesus properly. And so their lives are untransformed. And for some of us, this is true. It's like we, we read scripture, we, we look at this Jesus, or maybe you hear me or Pastor Gabe talking about him, and it's like, I kind of see it, but I just don't get it. What, what's going on here? And it's like there's a veil in front of our eyes. We're unable to see the truth, even when it's staring us in the face. And so the solution is we need to open our eyes. Open your eyes. You need to have your eyes opened. We need to be able to see the truth. We need to be able to see who Jesus is, what he wants us to do, what he has for us. We need to open our eyes to the truth about Scripture. The, the problem is, is we can't open our own eyes. This veil is here, Scripture says. The, the veil is there, and they can't seem to get it off. And every time they read the law, every time they read Scripture, every time they read what God has written, they just become more entrenched in their positions. And, and you probably know people like this, who the more that you talk about Jesus, the more you share the gospel with them, the more you tell them about this new king, they just become more resistant. They, they like Jesus less. They want to listen to you less. They push back. It's, there's, there's a veil there. This veil needs to be removed. And Paul says... 
Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. You can be freed from this veil. You can be freed from this veil, but you need the Spirit of God to intervene. And so the solution for your friends and, and your family and, and the people that you know and love, the solution is you need to intercede and ask the Spirit to do a work in their life. You need to pray and you need to seek God and say, Spirit of God, remove that veil because I can't do it. They can't do it. They're blinded to who you are. And so you need to pray for these people. You need to seek God for these people. You need to seek God for your parents. You need to seek God for your friends. You need to ask the Lord to intervene and do a work because apart from God working, there is no hope for them. You cannot save anyone. You cannot change someone's life on your own, so stop trying. Some of you have friends and you live in this, I'm just trying to make them a better person. And so I'm telling them not to do this and I'm telling them what to do and it's like nothing's changing. That's because you're trying to change them yourself. The answer is not for you to, to give them a bunch of rules or to guilt trip them, but the answer is for you to intercede and ask the Spirit of God to do a work in their lives. Spirit of God, open their eyes, remove this veil, let them see you for who you are. And when one turns to the Lord, this veil is removed. What better picture of repentance? They've changed their mind about God. This veil has been lifted. For, for Paul, when he comes to Jesus, there's literally, the Bible says, like, something like scales falls from his eyes. And it's this picture of his eyes are now open to see Jesus. This veil is coming off. He'd read the scriptures and studied for years and years and years, and he'd never seen Jesus. And yet in this moment, something changes. These scales fall off. And he goes and he studies scripture, and he sees Jesus everywhere. So, so we need to open our eyes. You need your eyes opened. And for you, from time to time, it can be like there's this veil. And I'm reading the Bible, and I can't seem to understand what's going on. And I'm trying to live life following Jesus, and I, I just can't seem to figure out how to live my life. Ask the Spirit of God, Lord, take this veil off my eyes. And, and maybe you're here, and you're hearing what I'm saying, and maybe you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, you, but, but you kind of, you enjoy coming to Trademark, your friends come here, you're inspired by the messages, and, and you feel kind of guilty by some of the preaching, but you're like, man, I don't know if I can believe this. I don't know if this is for me. Some of this makes sense. Some of this doesn't make sense. I would just encourage you, ask the Lord to open your eyes, remove that veil. You can't convince yourself of the gospel. You can't convince yourself of Jesus. I'm not asking you to leave your brain at the door. I'm not asking you to have blind faith or anything like that. But I'm asking you to, to ask the Lord to help you see what's going on. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So ask the Spirit of the Lord to open your eyes. Open your eyes. But the second thing we need to do is we need to fix our focus. You need to fix your focus. 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is spirit. We need to fix our focus. The longer you look at Jesus, the more you look like Jesus. The longer you look at Jesus, the more you will look like Jesus. William Blake says this, and we quote it all the time, because it's a good quote, you become what you behold. You become what you behold. The things you look at will begin to shape the way you live your life. The priorities that you set for yourself. The, the objectives and the goals that you have. The things that you put on a pedestal and say, man, this is how I want to live. This is what I want my life to look like. The things that you idolize. The things that you set as an ideal for those lives. You pursue those things. You pattern your life after those things. And before you know it, you begin to look just like the idols that you have. You begin to look just like the things that you behold. And so I would invite you to fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your focus onto Jesus. 
Look at Jesus. Stare at Jesus. Gaze into scripture. Spend time in prayer meditating on God and who he is and, and what he's doing in the world. Fix your focus on God. Put Jesus on that pedestal. Someone's going to be there. Put Jesus there. He's the only one who's worth standing up to it. He's the only one who can actually stand up to all the challenge and the rigors of, uh, of this, this high-stress example. Your friends are going to fail you. Your parents are going to fail you. Your youth leaders are going to fail you. Your teachers are going to fail you. Put Jesus on that pedestal. He's the only one who won't. He's the only one who can take it. So we look at Jesus. We fix our focus on him. We stare at him. We meditate on him. And then something begins to happen. We begin to be transformed into the image of God. That's what it says. Let's stick that verse back up there so we can see it. 2 Corinthians 3.18, we begin to be transformed into the image from one degree of glory to the next, slowly but surely, piece by piece, bit by bit, minute by minute. It's like you're this sculpture and God is just slowly refining it and chiseling away at these different things. And you're becoming this image. There's an incredible connection between the image of God that we see in Genesis 1 and the image of God that we see in Christ. It's this idea of just like an idol in the middle of a pagan temple, Jesus is the statue, the image of God in the middle of the temple of God. He's, and we are the temple of God. So Jesus is this statue. He is this image that we put inside of our hearts, inside of our lives. He becomes the focus of our temple. He becomes the focus of our living. We stick him there and we become more like him as we behold him, as we look at him. This is who we're meant to be, God restoring his image within us. Here's how this happens. It's by beholding the glory of the Lord. By beholding the glory of the Lord. The, the word there is kataptridzo. That's the Greek word, kataptridzo. And, and the idea is this idea of a mirror. It's this idea of I'm, I'm looking really intently at a mirror and I'm seeing what's out of place. I'm seeing what needs to be fixed. I'm seeing what's not right because Jesus is the ideal. Jesus is this mirror that we want to look at. And we want to see ourselves in him and see, man, Jesus looks like this, but I don't look the way that Jesus does. I don't look the way that I'm supposed to. And we behold him in this mirror. And as I look at Jesus, I begin to reflect him better and better to those around me. It's almost like I look up at this really bright light. And as I look at this really bright light, I, I begin to reflect that light to people around me. And, and I stare more intently at it. I focus on it. And now, as I look, as I fix my focus on that light, I am... Make sure I get all of you so you can feel the, feel the light. As I fix my eyes on this light, I begin to reflect this better and better to all of those around me and all the people in my life. I'm beholding the image of God, and, and I'm becoming a better mirror. I'm becoming a better reflector. The brighter the light, the better the image. If I pointed this just at, you know, if I point this at the projector light or something, it's, it's not going to be as bright, but I point this at these really bright spotlights, and now it is this incredibly bright image that I can reflect on to everyone in the room. As I look at Jesus, I reflect him better and better than those around me. I look more like him. My life reflects him more and more clearly. So I need to look at Jesus. I need to stare at him. I need to focus on him. And as I do, my life begins to change. The lives of people around me begin to change as I image God better to them. They begin to see Jesus in me. What would it look like if your friends began to see Jesus in you? If they begin to look at your life and see less of you and more of Jesus. People look at me and they see less Adam, more Jesus. That's my goal for my life. That's your goal for your life. 
I, I, I want people to see less of me and more of Jesus. Because I'm this near reflecting him. I'm beholding his image. I'm being transformed into his likeness. And this is how the church explodes and grows in the New Testament. It's people looking at Jesus and becoming so shaped by who he is that they begin to look just like him. And so they're called Christians, which is a derogatory term meaning little Christs. That these are people so shaped by the mission and the life of Jesus that people look at them and they say, it's just like a little Jesus walking around. Just like the, the spitting image of a, a little Christ. They're, they're a Christian. They're, they're a little Jesus, a little Christ walking around. And that is the best description of what it is to follow Jesus that I've ever heard. That when I say I'm a Christian, I'm not saying I'm part of a religion. I'm not saying I'm part of a church. I'm not saying I'm part of some belief system, although those things are true. But I'm saying I'm a person who's trying to look like Jesus and model him to the world around me in every relationship I have and every interaction I have. I am a life transformed by Jesus. Seeing is the key to showing. Seeing is the key to showing. The better I see Jesus, the better I show Jesus. And so I'll close with this question. How do you see Jesus? How do you see Jesus? One of the most important questions Jesus ever asks, and Ari, you can come and play. One of the most important questions Jesus ever asks is, who do you say I am? So I want you to now consider for your life, for your heart, for your mind, what does your mind say about Jesus? What mindset are you living in? Who is Jesus to you? Some call him a teacher. Some call him a great prophet. Some call him this incredible moral example. Some call him a historical figure. Some call him just a myth. But who do you say he is? Who is Jesus to you? How does Jesus shape your life and your priorities? Because when you see Jesus for who he is, it changes everything. When you get a clear picture of Jesus, when you get this clear reflection of Jesus, everything begins to change. And so in, in this last just two minutes, I want to invite you to close your eyes, and, and we're just going to go before the Lord in prayer. We believe that the Spirit of God is here, that God isn't just up in heaven or in some distant place, but he's here with us tonight, moving in our midst, speaking to us, working in our lives and in our hearts. And so we just want to give him an opportunity to work in our lives right now. Give him an opportunity to work in our minds, to, to lift some veils. And so I just want you to consider, who is Jesus to me? What do I believe about him? Who do I say he is? And now would you ask God to help you see Jesus more clearly? Ask him to lift that veil from your eyes. Ask him to lift that veil from your heart. Ask him to lift that veil from your life. That you would read scripture and you'd really see Jesus for who he is. You wouldn't be blinded by the world around you. You wouldn't be blinded by outside influences. You wouldn't be blinded by your own preconceived ideas or notions but that you would really see Jesus. And I'd invite you now to, to, to pray and, and talk to God about your friends. Talk to God about your parents. Talk to God about your teachers, people in your life who you know don't see Jesus the way that they need to see Jesus. They're, they're blinded by something. Would you ask God to do a work in their lives right now? 
Ask God to remove that veil from their heart and their eyes. And I'll ask you now to pray with me. You don't have to pray the same words, but as you listen to what I say, maybe you agree with it in your heart or, or pray something similar along with me, but we can pray something like this. Jesus, show me who you are. God, open my eyes to see. God, I pray that I would see you with truth, see you with clarity, see you with focus. And Lord, I pray that as I see you, that you would see me and that I would reflect you to people around me. Lord, I pray you would change my heart. I pray you would change my life. I pray you would change my mind about who you are, Lord. I want to believe. I want to believe in you. I, I want to believe what Adam is saying right now. Would you help me to believe more deeply? Help, help me to really know that this is true. Give me faith, God. Work in my life. Work in my heart. Work in me, Jesus. I, I, I need you, God. I pray that you'd help me to turn from sin and turn toward you. Would you bring freedom into my life? Bring me out of sin, Jesus. Father, I pray for every person here that you would work in their lives in mighty, powerful ways. Thank you for bringing them here tonight. Thank you for bringing them into this room and into this place. Thank you for bringing them into Trademark and giving them this opportunity to hear about you, to hear who you are, to hear what you're doing, to hear how you're working in the world, to hear that you are the king of the world, the king of the universe. And I pray that that truth would sit in our hearts, would land in our heads, and that we would reprioritize every decision and every part of our lives around that, God. Work in us. Work through us. Help us to change our minds about you. Help us to change our lives around you. Help us to see you more clearly. I pray you'd open our eyes. Open our eyes to see who you are. Do this through your power. It's for your beautiful name and for your glorious name that we pray. Amen. Amen. You repeat after me. Jesus, you are better than anything in this world. Be blessed, Trademark. I love you. Thanks for coming. Can't wait to see you next week. Grab a popsicle and a soda on your way out. I think there's still some more. See you guys.